What do you do when you don't know what to do? Today we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And you know Israel faced this exact same situation. Word came to them that an army was coming to fight them where Israel was far outnumbered and completely overwhelmed. And King Jehoshaphat said in verse 11, we're powerless. And he said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, that's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. And God gave them the strategy for winning this incredible battle. Well, today on Awaken to Grace, this is part one of a new series entitled, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And we're going to study throughout this series, what do you do when you are overwhelmed? What do you do when Satan comes against your life? He comes against your family. Well, we're going to learn many principles, many strategies on how we can overcome and how ultimately the battle does belong to the Lord. I'm so glad you're joining me today on this episode of Awakened to Grace. So we're going to talk today about King Jehoshaphat. Sadie wanted me to entitle today, Jumping Jehoshaphat, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to call today what to do when you don't know what to do. Have you ever been there in life? Has there ever been a storm that came to you? Ever had trouble, began to brew, and you didn't know what to do? Israel found themselves in this situation, and King Jehoshaphat says, actually, in verse 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want to talk today. I want to see what God's strategy is when a battle forms against us, when Satan comes against your marriage, when Satan attacks your health. When Satan attacks your children and your grandchildren, when Satan attacks your employment or your income or your finances, I want to talk about what do you do when you don't know what to do? The Bible gives us a crystal clear strategy in this chapter. Let's begin in verse 1. The Ammonites, the Moabites, began to form themselves against Israel. They're going to come against Judah and King Jehoshaphat, and they are going to prepare for battle. Verse number two, men come to King Jehoshaphat and say, you don't know this, but you've got trouble on your hands. There is a mighty war. There is a mighty battle forming. There is a great multitude, the Bible calls it later in the chapter. They call it a great horde. I mean, this is a mighty army that's coming against God's people. And King Jehoshaphat, verse 3, becomes very afraid. But we're going to study today what does he do with that fear? What does he do? When he didn't know what to do. I remember so vividly in 2017. I sat in a doctor's chair. At the retina specialist. 
And I'll never forget as the doctor come in and he sat down. I had been in Central America training pastors. We had hiked an extremely large mountain. I'm not a hiker, so any mountain is large to me. But this one was for real, really big. It overlooked the border in Honduras. And we were hiking to a Christian radio tower that had been built and dedicated. We not only got to the top of the mountain, we then hiked the top of the tower. And when I got to the top of the tower, like a spider web, blood vessels burst all within my eye. It was like, it was in my left eye, and it was like seeing a spider web of blood. You can imagine the fear that came into my heart. I preached through that trip and come home, went to a retina specialist. And I'll never forget when he walked in his office and I was sitting in his chair. And he sat down and he said, so trouble is brewing, huh? Yeah, it was. I don't know if you've ever faced a storm. I don't know if you've ever faced a battle. I don't know if the life has ever pulled the rug out from under you or blindsided you. But I think most of us know what it is to be in a place where literally we don't know what to do. This is where King Jehoshaphat found himself. And today we're going to see what he did. We're going to see the steps that they took. Look at verse number three with me. When he became very afraid, I want you to note number one today. He immediately turned to the Lord. The Bible does not mention any of his generals. The Bible doesn't mention any of the military. The Bible doesn't mention any of their politicians. The Bible says that he turned to the Lord. What did he do? He entered into prayer. He entered into fasting. And verse number four, all of Judah came together. They assembled themselves together. And what was the purpose? To seek the help of the Lord. Is anybody with me today? Where do you go when you find yourself in trouble? Do you go to other people? Where do you go when you need encouragement? Where do you go when you need strength? Where do you go? Do you find yourself going to the Lord first? I remember when I was young in my faith and I had faced a storm. I had faced some kind of crisis. It was so big. I don't even, I, I don't even remember what it was today. <laughs> but in the moment, it was really big, right? And today, I don't even remember what it was. But I remember I began to call people that I know I would dial someone. Hey, I knew they prayed. And I'd say, will you pray for me? I'm facing this. I'm going. This is before I was ever a pastor. And I probably called five or six people. I remember sitting there, tapping my finger. And I asked the Lord, who else can I call? And I remember very sweetly, but very swiftly, the Holy Spirit said, Chad, how about me? You have what? You've called everybody you know, but you've not prayed to me. 
You've not asked me. And what does the Bible say? Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you the great and hidden things that you do not know. Are we not prone to do that? We'll turn to everyone else before we turn to the Lord. Someone aptly said, God in many ways is like a spare tire. We're glad it's there. We just hope we don't have to ever use it. Do you see God that way? Do you see prayer that way? Is prayer the last place that you go? No, what we learn from King Jehoshaphat is God was not the last one he went to. God was the first one he went to. Amen. And you and I would do well to adapt to that. And how did he approach the Lord? Through prayer, through fasting, and through seeking the help of the Lord. Friends, there are some of you right now, you have decisions that you need to make, and you would do well to pray and fast. Some of you are praying about the decision, but you need to add fasting. Some of you are up against a struggle right now. Some of you are facing an addiction today. Some of you are facing decisions today. You're facing things that are bigger than you, bigger than what you can solve, bigger than what you can figure out. If God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't turn things around, then what hope is there, friends? You need to be fasting. You need to add fasting to your seeking of the Lord. So verse 4, all of Judah comes. They assemble themselves for the purpose of seeking help from the Lord. Let me remind you, my friend, we are not self-sufficient. And neither does God expect us to be self-sufficient. The book of Jeremiah tells us, my people have committed two evils. Jeremiah 2.13, they have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's that mean? That means we were never designed to be self-sufficient. It's okay to ask the Lord for help. It's okay to seek God for help. And let me tell you a play out of Satan's playbook. You'll begin to Ask the Lord to help you, and Satan at times will make you feel guilty for that. Oh, don't bother God with that. Oh, don't bother the Lord. Oh, don't go to God. Don't take that. That's a small thing. That, that no, you, do, you deal with that on your own. Friends, that's a lie of the enemy. Ask the Lord for his help. For the Bible says he is a present help. Amen. Verse 5. King Jehoshaphat goes into the house of the Lord, and he is going to seek the Lord. And let me tell you, verses 6 to 12 may be one of my most favorite prayers in the entire Bible. Notice verse 6. How does he approach the Lord? Well, first of all, he's got the order right. Look what he tells the Lord. He says, you are God in heaven, and you rule over the nations of the earth. Friends, do you see the divine order there? Let me tell you, no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you may potentially face in the coming weeks, months, or years, no matter what you and I face on this earth, God is above it all. He reigns supreme. 
He is sovereign over every circumstance, over every situation, over every trouble, over every sorrow, out of every disappointment. Let me tell you, God is sovereign over every bit of it. And when you understand the divine order that God is God alone in heaven and he rules and he controls and he has dominion over everything on the earth. Well, my friends, that's when you'll begin to pray with a greater confidence. I love the divine order that you are God in heaven. And think about it. They have an army that way outnumbers themselves. There is no hope. There is no military strategy. And what does he say? You rule over them. For who can resist you? Power and might and strength are in your hand. Who can resist you? Do you see that before he ever lays out the need, before he ever lays out his petition, what does King Jehoshaphat do? He magnifies the Lord. See, you and I, we get our order reversed. We magnify our troubles. And then we try to talk to the Lord about it. No, see, King Jehoshaphat, he magnified the Lord and then he brought his troubles to the Lord. What a great divine order. Do you have the right perspective of God? Or do your problems, your circumstances today, your difficulties today, do they seem much larger than the Lord God Almighty? If they do, You got the wrong perspective today. Reverse the order and get the biblical perspective. I love verses 7 and 8. Because after, listen, this this is how we learn to pray. After King Jehoshaphat honors the Lord and magnifies the Lord and puts him in the rightful place, then he reminds God of his great faithfulness. Friends, I don't know if you've ever been taught this. I don't know if you've ever really considered this. But do you know that God loves to be reminded of his word? You know, God loves to be reminded of his promises. God loves it when you go back and recount and recall all of God's faithfulness in your life. Oh, the Lord delights in it. Now, we are not to manipulate the Lord. That doesn't mean that you go to God and say, God, I'm going to need you to do this because your word says this. And so you have to do this because it. No, that's manipulation. You don't manipulate the Lord. But let me tell you, it's something when you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, I know you're faithful. I know. I know what your word says, God. Your word says that you are a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Lord, I know I'm safe in you. Lord, I know that you're a present help in the time of my trouble. Lord, I know you're near me. I know your mercies are renewed every morning. Oh, my friends, it is a good thing to tell the Lord, to remind the Lord of his promises. The Lord delights in it. Does Scripture not say, does God not say, come and let us reason together? Do you ever reason with the Lord? Do you ever... Communicate with God in that way. Pray in such a way. Oh, God, you've never failed me and you never will. And I trust you right now. Remind God of his covenant. Remind God of his word. Remind God of his great promises. So verse 5, he goes to the house of the Lord to seek help. 
Verse 6, what a remarkable prayer he begins to pray. Verses 7 and 8, he reminds God of his faithfulness to the forefathers and to Israel, to his friend Abraham. And I love verse 9. Now, you know I can't see you, so let me know if you're with me right now. Say amen if you're with me, because I love verse 9. Let's pay close attention to verse 9. Verse 8, he says, Our forefathers, they built this sanctuary. They built this house for you. And listen what Israel knew. Listen to verse 9. If disaster comes, (laughs) sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, if disaster comes to us, Listen to what he says. In essence, he says, we know what to do. He says, your name is in this place. Your name is in your house. And so what's the result? We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will save us. Oh, friends, you ought to memorize that verse. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what comes into your life. God will hear you and he will rescue you. The Bible says his eye is on the righteous. His ear is open to our cry. And do you have that view of God? Lord, no matter what catastrophe I face, no matter what disaster may touch my life, you are sovereign and you are in control. Is that your view of God? Because that's the Bible's view. I got up early this morning. I was sipping my coffee, eating my apple. (laughs) I like apples with my coffee. I don't know. But I was sipping my coffee this morning and I began to think over the scripture how God's name was in his temple. God's name was in that house. And the Holy Spirit began to minister to me. And the Holy Spirit began to say, Chad, remember, don't forget, you are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit. My name is over you. My name is on you. And now when you pray. Listen. Listen. When you face disaster. When you face attacks of the enemy. Let me remind you child of God. God's name is at stake. Amen. His reputation is on the line. And that's why God won't fail you. That's why God's not going to leave you out on your own. That's why you can turn to to God with confidence. Why? Because God's name is on you. His name is on the line. His reputation is on the line. And I love how King Jehoshaphat says, listen, it's not our name. It's not us. Lord, your name is in this place. And we'll cry out to you in our affliction. You'll hear us. And you'll save us. What a promise out of the word of God. So. Verse 11. Look what he says. We're powerless. There are no angles to be made here. There's no. uh, Lord, we we have no options. We are powerless against this army. And look at verse 11. 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, right now, that's my greatest prayer in the Bible. That's my favorite prayer in the Bible. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
What a prayer. And so, verse 13. This is very important. Don't miss this key principle. So they began to seek the Lord. And who was present? Their wives and their little ones. I love this. You know what the Lord began to minister to me? The Lord began to take me back in my memory bank. The Lord began to remind me of how I grew up and what I saw in the faith of my mom. Let me tell you, my friends, there were many times that I remember walking into a room as a little boy to find my mom on her face weeping before the Lord. And I wouldn't interrupt her. And I wouldn't say anything. But I would just watch for a few minutes. And I would watch her cry out to God. I remember very distinctly one time, I was a little boy. I don't remember how old I was, but I was very young. And I remember we went to the grocery store and she had some coupons and we didn't have very much at all. And I remember before we went in, she said, Chad, let's pray together and let's ask God to help us. Let's ask him to show us deals and to make our money stretch. Let's ask him to show us things that we wouldn't have seen. And let's ask God to help. Praise God. Amen. Here's my point. Do your little ones see you trust God? Does your spouse, are they involved in your seeking of the Lord? As a family, do you seek the Lord together? Do you walk in faith together? Do your kids ever catch you praying? Do you talk openly about your trust in the Lord? Friends, I want to invite, you should invite your family into your faith and let it be open and let them see how you walk with the Lord. Can we say amen to that today? So here they assemble. Now, friends, they're in trouble. A storm is coming. Trouble is brewing. They have no options. They have no help. They have no other alternative. They have the Lord, and that's all. So they assemble. Verse 14, look what happens. The Spirit of God comes. My friends, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. The Spirit of God makes all the difference. The Spirit of God came on the man of God, on this prophet, In verse 15, I want you to note carefully what does the man of God tell King Jehoshaphat and all of the people of Judah? What does he tell them? The battle is not yours, but is what? God's. (laughs) The battle is not yours, but is God's. Friends, let me tell you, that's a word for us today. That is a word for you today. The battle is not yours, but is God's. Verse 16, I absolutely love this. The Holy Spirit. See, what did I say? The Spirit of God makes all the difference. Is the Spirit of God in your home? Is the Holy Spirit welcomed in your family? Is He among the dinner table? Is He in your living room? Is He among... Your household, the Spirit of God will make all the difference. And look what the Spirit of God did. 
he tells them precisely where they're going to find the enemy. I love this because you know what that means? That means the Holy Spirit blew the element of surprise for the enemy. This great army thought they were going to come upon Israel. They thought they were going to ambush them and surprise them. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. Let me tell you, this is exactly where they're camped. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to go exactly. You're talking about a precise GPS. The Holy Spirit told them exactly where to go. Friends, do you know the Holy Spirit will keep you ahead of the curve in life? You know, the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you. That's why, as I said, Jeremiah 33, 3, if you'll stop calling everybody else, and if you'll call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says He he will show you great and hidden things that you did not know. And so this morning, if you're facing a decision, if you're facing a dilemma, if there is a hard choice that you have to make, And you don't know what to do. Friends, call on the Lord. And He will show you those great and those hidden things that you don't have the answers to. If you can't change how you feel. If you can't change your thinking. If you can't break out of that addiction. If you can't break out of that sinful pattern. Then my friend, call on the name of the Lord. And He will help you. And he'll reveal to you. See Psalm 103. The Bible says that Israel knew the acts of God. What's that mean? They saw the pillar of cloud and they saw the pillar of fire. And they saw the Red Sea part. And they saw the plagues on Egypt. And they saw the manna from heaven. And on and on and on and on. And the the Bible says that Israel knew the acts of God. But Moses knew his ways. It's one thing when you see what God's doing. It's a whole other thing when you know why God's doing it. And if you'll seek the Holy Spirit today, if you will yield yourself like the clay to the potter's hands, God will not only show you what He's doing in your life, He'll show you why He's doing it. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you those great and those hidden things that you don't know and that you don't understand. God will make them known to you. Now, verse 17 and 18. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got ahead. Verse 17. I'm on track so far. If I get off track, just yell at me if I miss something. Verse 17. So understand the context. Israel is utterly outnumbered. There's no hope for them. They assemble themselves and seek the Lord. The Spirit of God responds. And the word from the Lord is the battle is not yours, but is God's. Verse 17 blows my mind. Verse 17 is the strategy for winning the war. Verse 17 is the strategy for God's battle plan. And you know what it is? Look at it with me. Verse 17. Array yourselves in your finest armor. Sharpen your swords and prepare your spears. Gather the chariots and the mighty horses and go to war. Is that what it says? 
No, but it sounded good, didn't it? I fooled half of you. Half of you is writing down sword, spear, chariot. What? Horses? Is that what he said? See, I can't get my mind around it that this is a war. This is a battle where there's no hope. And yet this chapter says nothing of swords, (laughs) nothing of spears. Nothing of shields, nothing of chariots, nothing of mighty horses. Does that strike you as odd? There are no generals. There's nothing about flanking the enemy. There are no formations. What's the, okay, God, what's the plan? Verse 17, you ready for it? Stand still. (laughs) excuse me stand still let me uh, okay hang on one second God a mighty battle a great multitude and I'm standing still that sounds like a sitting duck stand still that's that's the strategy that's the plan stand still now I can't see you but how many of you can't stand still for a second? Right? Come on, right? How many of you don't have any patience? I, I can't see you. Do, I, who, who am I talking to? Stand still. Hmm. Okay. Then what? Hold your position. Now, why would he say that? Stand still and hold the position. Let me tell you, my friends, the Bible is very clear. It says, be still and know that I am God. There are some, listen, God is not going to get his glory out of you figuring everything out. (laughs) God is not going to get glory out of you fixing everything. God is not going to get glory out of your string. No, let me tell you, it is in our weaknesses that God displays his strength. It is out of our weaknesses that the power of Christ rests upon us. Amen. And when does God get his glory? God gets his glory when we're still. And we say, you are God and I am not. When does God get his glory? He gets his glory when we hold the line. He gets his glory when we don't back down. He gets his glory when we hold the position. The weeks after I went blind, after my failed surgeries, your eye pressure was not supposed, it's not supposed to be over 20. My eye pressure would be 53 and 55 because of the botched surgeries. Debilitating. I was sick. I couldn't function. It was awful. And every Sunday for weeks, we had to, I didn't know if I could preach. Uh, I don't mean to be too much information, but it would make me so sick in my stomach and physically, I mean, my head would just, It was just debilitating, and nothing would touch it. They would give me medication, and it wouldn't touch it. 
And I'm telling you, church, you don't know how many Sundays that the worship team was ready to play through the whole Sunday because I didn't know if I could preach. I would have a chair sitting against the back wall because I would get so swimmy-headed and so dizzy. I thought I'd pass out in the middle of the sermon. There were so many Sundays. I was back here on the side. I don't mean to be so graphic, but vomiting. As people are driving in, coming in for church. And I was sick as I could be. And Satan was assaulting me. And he was attacking me. And it went on for a number of weeks, if not a couple of months. And I remember there was one Sunday and I was back there in that, in that gravel lot section and I was so sick, I couldn't hardly stand. And I remember I told Satan that day, I said, Satan, let me be very clear. Let me tell you, I'll talk to him out loud. I'm that crazy. And I said, let me tell you something. If I have to crawl to that pulpit, if I have to crawl to the platform, I will crawl and I will preach. I'm not going to back down. And I said out loud, you might as well leave me alone because I'm not going to quit. Friends, there comes a time you have to draw a line in the sand. There comes a time where you have to understand God has not called you to win the battle. What God has called you to do is to stand still and hold the line. That's all you have to do. And let me tell you, my friends, I don't know when God's going to touch my eyes. I don't know when these old eyes are going to come open. But let me tell you, it's not for me to know. There's only one thing I need to know. Hold the line. That's my only job. Amen. And I'm not going to back down. And I won't give an inch. And I won't take one step backward. Not one toe will go backward. Why? Because I am to hold the line. And so are you. That's your job. Your job isn't to figure it out. Your job's not to fix it. Your job is not to move mountains. Only God can move the mountain. You are to hold the line. You are to stand still. And then what does God say? Then you'll see the salvation of the Lord. Let me tell you. I don't know when. And I don't know how. But God's going to open these eyes one day. I went to Duke University. And one of the greatest eye doctors on the planet. Now he's one of the best of the best. He sat in that chair. And he said, Chad, you're not going to see. But the Holy Spirit inside me was going, nope. Yes, you will. He told me three years ago, this eye right here that has the torn retina, he said, it's going to wither. And you know what the Holy Spirit said? No, it's not. The whole, right there, sitting in his chair, the Holy Spirit, like thunder, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to be a well-watered gardens and your waters will not fail. Hold the line. That's all we're to do. Now, so that's the strategy. <laughs> no swords, no spears, no chariots, no shields. You're going to stand still. You're going to hold the line. 
and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And then, (laughs) it's almost as though the Holy Spirit said, oh yeah, one more thing. Don't fear and don't be dismayed because the Lord's going to go with you. (laughs) It's almost like after getting the strategy, okay, Lord, let me make sure I got this right. Stand still, hold the line, and salvation will come. Oh, yeah, but don't forget, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed because I'm going to be with you. Then they do the oddest thing. Are y'all with me today? Just checking. Just che- I'd like to check in. Then he does the oddest thing. Verses 18 and 19. When they get the strategy, before they go to war, before the battle is ever even started, and before it's certainly won, you know what they do? They worship the Lord before the battle ever began. See, there's some of you, you're thinking, when I see God move, then I'll I'll give Him glory. No, it doesn't go that way. You worship God before you ever see the victory. You praise God before victory ever comes. You call those things that are not as though they what? As though they are. You walk. That's walk, Friends, that's not walking by sight. That's walking by faith. Amen. So they worship God. They sing out with a mighty voice. Verse 19. They, they, what an intensity to their worship. Verse 20. They go to war. They get up early that morning. They go to the battlefield. Verse 21. Oh, the story just gets more crazy. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever secretly wanted to join the worship team and be up here singing? Well, you wouldn't on this day. (laughs) Because look what they do in verse 21. They take the singers. They take the worshipers. And they put them on the front lines. Now, is that not fascinating? Not the generals. Not the military experts. Not the Navy SEALs. Or the Green Berets. Or the Marines. No. Who do they put on the front lines? The worshipers. Isn't that that something? What a weapon. What a weapon. What a weapon. Let me tell you. Not every day, but probably, let's say pretty well every day. I wake up singing. I wake up worshiping. The few days that I'll turn on my Fox News, God convicts me and says, No, 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 listen to that later. Worship me first. Lead with worship. My days are much better when I lead my day with worship instead of the news. Amen? Anyways, verse 21, they arrayed themselves in holy attire. Do you see that in verse 21? Now, friends, every detail of Scripture is important. Why would the Holy Spirit tell us holy attire? Why would you suppose that that is there? You would do well to understand today 
that you and I face a far more dangerous, a far more lethal, a far more formidable enemy than the Moabites or the Ammonites. You and I face the kingdom of darkness. And see, the Bible is very clear. You and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, rulers, and authority. This darkness, this kingdom of darkness, that's who we fight. And do you know what our holy attire is? Ephesians chapter 6. It's the full armor of God. That's what you and I are to go to war with. That's what we're to dress ourselves in every day. Are you dressed today in the armor of God? And if I may say this pastorally, I don't say this in a way that I'm throwing stones. I say it in a loving and a pastoral way. Precious friends, if you don't know what the armor of God is, if I put you on the spot right now and said, can you tell me the armor of God? And your answer would be, um, well, uh, there's, uh, uh, huh, well, there's probably a sword or maybe, a, I don't know, a shield maybe. I'd, let me say this lovingly. If you don't know what the armor of God is, then there's no way you're wearing it. There's no way you got it on. Friends, it might be that you're being so wounded by the enemy today because you're not wearing the armor of God. It may be that Satan is shooting arrows into your heart, arrows into your mind, because you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Because you don't have on the helmet of salvation. Because you're not wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace or the belt of truth. Or the sword of the Spirit or the shield of faith. Friends, if you don't have these vital, holy attire on, then you are a sitting duck for the enemy. So they dress themselves in holy attire. They begin to sing. Oh, I would have loved to have heard their songs. They sang of God's enduring faithfulness, of His steadfast love, His everlasting mercy. I can't imagine the intensity with which they sang. And look at verse 22. The Bible says that God ambushed the enemy. Friends, I want you to note that. Praise equals ambush. <laughs> Praise equals Ambush. And on that day, Israel never lifted a sword. They never shot an arrow. God ambushed the enemy. God fought the battle for them. And the Bible literally says, verse 22, God routed the enemy. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord doesn't save by sword and spear. The Lord saves by the power of His name. Amen. Do you trust in that today? Or are you trying to fix all the angles? Are you trying to work all the angles? Are you trying to 
find your own solutions? Are you trying to work with all of your strength and all of your might? See, friends, you and I only have so much energy. We only have so much strength. Where are you going to give it? Are you going to give it to your problems, which are futile? You can't change it. The things you can change, well, change it. And if you can't change it, give it to God. Or are you going to give your strength, your attention, your focus, your energy, your affections, your ambitions, your time? Are you going to give those things to the Lord? Your energy will go one of the two. They'll go to your troubles or they'll go to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. King Jehoshaphat and the people of God focused entirely on worshiping God and seeking His help. Verse 21, they sang out loud to the Lord. They followed His strategy to the T. And verse 22, God ambushed the enemy. God ambushed them and He routed them. Verse 25, the spoil was so great, it took three days, three full days for Israel to gather the spoil. And I love this. Verse 29. All of the kingdoms around Israel, they heard how the Lord had fought the battle for his people and won. And verse 30, what does it say? The realm of King Jehoshaphat was quiet and God gave him rest. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you today, you're going to come through the battle. You're going to come through it. God's going to bring you through it. And he's going to fight your battle. And he's going to get the glory out of your life. And when it's all said and done, you know what God's going to give you? God's going to give you rest. God's going to give you quietness. God's going to give you peace. Some of you right now would give any amount of money in the whole world if you just had peace in your soul, if you had peace in your home, peace in your marriage, peace with your children. Some of you would give anything in the world if God would give you quietness and peace. Well, friends, He will. But find it first in the Lord. Be quiet before the Lord. Be still and know that He is God. You have one thing today. It's as you worship the Lord, stand still. Stand still. Let God be God. Hold your position and let God work. Don't get in his way. Some of you are praying, but you're in God's way. Some of you are asking, but you're in God's way. Some of you are believing, but you're in God's way. Get out of the way and say, God, I'm going to stand still until I see the salvation of the Lord. And let me tell you, my friends, I say it publicly today. I'm going to see the salvation of the Lord. I'll see it spiritually. I'll see it figuratively. 
glory to God, I shall see it physically, literally. But until then, what am I to do? Just be still. Know that He is God. And hold the line. Let's bow our heads. What are you facing today? What troubles brewing in your life? What storm has entered your family? How are you in God's way today? How can you be quiet and just let God be God? How can you lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you invite me, cast my cares upon you because you care for me.